All right, we are wrapping up our sermon series called Peace on Earth, and I want to show you a very important piece of archaeological evidence. It is this little teeny tiny scrap of paper, smaller than a dollar bill, and it is the oldest existing copy of any scripture that we have. So somebody wrote on it, rolled it up really tightly, and they slid it into a little silver tube, a little amulet, and uh, they wore it as jewelry. And then they were buried with it. And then 2,600 years later, somebody came along, dug it up, and found this. So this actually goes back all the way to the book of Daniel. This is a piece of paper that some believer wrote some verses on in the time of Daniel. As you can imagine, there would have been tremendous social, religious, national turmoil going on. And somebody thought, I want to write down a few scriptures to remember. And these scriptures were so special. So back in the day, you couldn't just highlight a verse. I mean, you couldn't go into the synagogue and pull down one of the scrolls and roll it out and then take your highlighter and mark it up. You couldn't carry your Bible around in your pocket. You couldn't carry a a paper Bible around. So it was a big deal. So if someone wanted to remember a specific section of scripture, a specific verse, this is how they would do it and keep it close to their heart. Now, as fascinating as all that is, aren't you kind of curious what passage of scripture somebody wrote down? What was so important that somebody found a little scrap of paper, rolled it up, and wore it with them uh, as jewelry for their life? What, what, What passage would be so valuable? It's actually two passages, and these are sort of familiar to us. These two passages have served as the basis for our last two sermon series. So if you remember back a few months ago, we were doing the Strange God sermon series, and we were going through Exodus 34, 6, and 7, and that passage of scripture where God reveals himself to Moses, and he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious one, slow to anger. You remember all that? Well, that's the first part of this little text. And you can see why someone would want to remember that, right? That's kind of cool. And then the next part of the text is actually our text for today. And I didn't plan my series around this. I just think it's so amazing that some believer thousands of years ago found the exact same two passages of scripture so moving and so valuable that they kept them with them. And so the scripture text for today is Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. It's a beautiful passage. Listen to this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Isn't that a beautiful piece of writing? It's a beautiful sentiment. Does anybody want to take a stab at what that Hebrew word for peace is? We shout it out. That's right, shalom. It's such a beautiful idea. The concept of shalom meaning that we want for you life as it should be. Shalom is when you experience a moment, even briefly, where your family is there and you're enjoying one another's company or you're playing a game or you're eating a meal. You just, for a moment, you can pause and you can think, this is life as it should be. This is Shalom. I, uh, I don't fly a ton, so I don't have like a ton of experience, but turbulence on a flight is one of the strangest things to experience. Because as someone who's an inexperienced flyer, when I sit there and the plane starts shaking, it could really go one of two ways. On one hand, it could be this is just a little bit of air displacement based on differing air temperatures that's causing a little bit of shaking in the plane, and the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to spill my ginger ale. Or it could be that the plane is going down. 
And it's time to say my goodbyes and write some letters and, and pray my prayers. Those are the two options. So as an inexperienced flyer, the way I determine which of those two things it is, is I look at the people around me, not the other passengers because they're just dum-dums like me. I look at the flight attendants. What are the flight attendants doing? If they're calm, cool, and collected, then I know I need to play it cool too. Don't panic, Patrick. If the flight attendants are panicking, then I know I should probably panic as well. It's parent, like parents and kids. You've done this with your kids. Your kids fall down, scrape their knee. Those parents that panic, it just amplifies that level of whatever craziness is going on in the kid. And then there's those parents, the free-range parents. Kids are going to fall, scrape their knee, and that's great. It's just letting them do their thing. So the question you're asking, is this turbulence or is this the real thing? Are we going down? The worst turbulence I've ever experienced, I was on a flight. And the flight attendants had started the drink service, and that's just my favorite part of the flight, especially when they give you a whole can of soda. I mean, you paid hundreds of dollars for this ticket, but something about getting a whole entire can of soda really feels special. And so they're going down the aisle, and before they get to me, which was such a tragedy, the pilot came on and said, folks, we're experiencing a little turbulence. We're going to put the fasten seatbelt sign and tell our attendants to take their seats. And so they started to put away the drink service, and before they could finish that, it got really bad. And something I had never seen happen began to happen. I wish I could recall what the flight attendants were saying to one another, but they all spoke a word repeatedly. And then they all went into some protocol where they locked the drink trays down and they all braced themselves on the aisle on the floor. And I thought, oh, I think it's time to panic now. <laughs> People on the flight were screaming. I think People thought this was it. Now, I'm here, so you know that the story worked out okay, or I'm incredibly lucky. But for about 10 seconds, I think most of us on that plane thought this was it. This is done. We're done. We're, you know, saying our prayers. Jesus, take me now. This is it. And then the most bizarre thing happened. 10 seconds later, the flight calmed down. Everything went smooth. The flight attendants resumed drink service. People started watching their movies and listening to their music and talking with one another as if our entire plane had not just had a near-death experience. It was the weirdest thing to have gone through. Is this turbulence or do we have a real problem? Is this turbulence or do we have a real problem? Our uh, global turbulence over the last couple of years has raised some serious questions. For 22 months, our entire world has been going through turbulence. It's been pretty bumpy. And along the way, because people so long for certainty, there have been religious leaders or even just non-religious leaders who have stood up and they have said, I know what has happened. So a couple, I think probably a week or two, maybe a little longer into COVID, one religious leader got up and he announced, I know what's happening. Here's what's going on. And of course, ears are all tuned in. What's happening? You know what God's doing here. And he said, this is what's happening. Everybody was just too busy. We all needed a break. Like we're preschoolers at daycare. We all needed a break. And so God just put the pause on everything. That is what's happening. Well, a couple more months went by and another religious leader got up and he announced, I know what's happening. I now know what God is doing. What's God doing? Everybody's listening. God is punishing the world for our sins. It's like a Noah situation and this is going to go on until we can all figure out and get our act together. That's what's happening. 
This is, this is punishment. Well, a few more months go on, another religious leader gets up and said, I actually know what truly is happening here. This is a test, and it's to sift the real Christians from the fake Christians. And ironically, the real Christians happened to look exactly like that particular religious leader, and the fake Christians had to look exactly like the people that religious leader always was criticizing. I know what's happening. And, and when people would stand up and say, I know what's happening, our national desire for certainty made us listen to that person, whatever they had to say. And then, of course, a few months would go on, and we'd realize that person has no idea what they're talking about. They don't know what's going on. So what is God doing? Is this, is the last 22 months, is it turbulence? Or is there a real problem? Do we need to take control of the, the flight? What's going on? And maybe your what is God doing questions don't have anything to do with COVID. Maybe it's everything else that's gone on in your life over the last couple years. But any sort of life turbulence could raise these questions. God, what exactly is going on here? God, what is your plan? God, what are you doing? All of us, every human being that has ever existed has asked these large existential questions about really about God. Even people that have determined there must not be a God usually arrive at that conclusion after asking questions like this. God, what are you doing? God, what is going on? And some people conclude that there is no God because there's too much chaos and turmoil in the world, so it's just all whatever. And other people just keep trying to stand up and declare, I know what God's doing. But everybody's asked those questions. Everybody longs for certainty, longs to know what's going on. And it could be anything, right? We've all asked those what and why questions. It could be your plans go awry. You know, it could be your job doesn't pan out like you thought. Other people are getting promoted, not you. Your raises aren't going up the way you wanted them to be. It could be your relationships aren't progressing. It could be that you envisioned your marriage to be a certain way at this point in your life, and it's not that way. It could be that you have sick relatives that don't improve or healthy relatives that get sick, and you're asking these questions about God what is going on? That sort of life-altering, question-raising instability. What is happening? Tell me what is happening. God, is this turbulence? Or do we have a real problem? And when we read passages like Numbers chapter uh, 6, verses 24 through 26, that doesn't sound right. God wants to bless me and keep me, but the last 22 months of my life don't look like blessing and keeping. God wants his face to shine on me. That sounds like it should be something good, but it doesn't feel like that. God wants to show me grace and give me peace, give me shalom. These plans, God, don't feel like peace. These circumstances don't feel like shalom. So maybe I need to take over the planning, God. Maybe I need to get involved in some of the details because whatever you've got going on is not going the direction I think that it should go. I want to introduce you to a fundamental truth about God. This is important. This is one of those things that, you know, if, if you're prone to write things down, you should write it down. If you're prone to etch it in your mind, you should etch it in your mind. Because this is a, it's a fundamental existential issue we all wonder about, we all wrestle with, and uh, we all have questions about. But God totally welcomes those what and why questions. He's good with those questions. You should ask those questions. You read scripture, and over and over again in scripture, people who were earnestly following God were asking questions like, what's happening? God, why are you doing? You should ask those questions. But let me tell you that based on the last 6,000 years of history, we have seen God repeatedly answer those what and why questions with a who answer. 
He does not tell you, here's what's going on. Instead, he redirects you and says, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you what I'm about. Let me tell you uh, my character, my biography. If you think about it, it's never God saying, here's my plan. It's always God saying, here's my character. It's never God saying, here's the blueprints. Tell me what you think. It's always God saying, here's my biography. It's never God saying, here's the strategy. You got any ideas? You got any opinions? It's always, here's my personality. Here's who I am. Parents, you've done this. You've done this. You've had your kids say, hey, can I go spend the night at this friend's house? And you're thinking, there's no way in the world I would let them go to that house, much less spend the night at that house. And your kid, who's anticipating a no, says, mom, dad, the, the police haven't been at their house for months. I mean, seriously, things are much better. They stopped selling meth a long time ago. You're like, there's no way. And your kids may not understand your reasoning. And when you know that they won't understand or when you know that they won't agree with you, you respond to those questions with something like, I am your parent, I am your dad, and I love you. You don't give them the details, the blueprints. Maybe you've tried and it didn't work. But you tell them, I am your parent and I love you. The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. That's the name for the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's that section of the Bible. It's a very important part of the Bible. But if you think about the time frame of that Bible, the book of Genesis covers thousands of years. So those 50 chapters of Genesis are just thousands of years. And then you get to Exodus through Deuteronomy, and it's decades. It's the lifespan of Moses, essentially. It's just a small period of time. And so Exodus through Deuteronomy is a ton of scripture, but it's a really short time. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot being thrown at people in this really short period of time. You've got slavery and plagues and the escape and the Red Sea and the wilderness and Mount Sinai and the tabernacle and wandering and camping and more wandering and quail and manna. And it's just all of this over and over again. And then there's commands. If you tried to read through that, there's command after command after command. And you're like, God, enough commands already. But there's more commands. And then there's ceremonies and details and technicalities all in this. It's tons. And so lots of people get to that section of scripture and they're like, I love the stories of Genesis, got to Exodus and through Deuteronomy, and I just kind of had to skim it because there was just too much coming at me all at once. But it's interesting, tucked in the middle of all that change and all that turmoil and all that newness and all that uncertainty is this little section of scripture. It would be like if someone uh, gave you something that needed to be put together for Christmas, you got a gift that needed to be assembled. And if you're a guy, maybe you last resort, read through the instructions. You know, part A needs to be inserted in section B and paragraph D and diagram A or whatever. And you're like trying to figure all that. If in the middle of all those technical instructions, there was a little Shakespearean sonnet, that would be a weird thing. You'd be like, what happened here? That's exactly what's going on in this passage of scripture. It's right in the middle of this, here's how you do this specific vow. And then after it, it's here's how you do this specific ceremony. And then right in the middle of that is this Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26. Right in the middle of all this weird technical language and jargon, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you to turn his face towards you. And you're like, didn't you just say that? No, this is about attentiveness and presence and give you shalom. It's so easy to lose the thread of what this whole thing, this whole life 
with God is about. It's so easy. In the middle of the chaos and turmoil and busyness of life, it's just easy to lose all that. It's just easy to lose perspective because we've got bills and taxes and doctor visits and teachers' conferences and vacations and breaking news and laundry piles and shoveling snow. We're just the constant, constant societal changes over the last few years. And it's easy to forget like what all is going on and that we have a God that wants to bless us. We have a God that wants to turn his face towards us, that wants to give us shalom. That is what God longs for us. This passage of scripture was God directing Moses to direct Aaron to declare this blessing over the people. And so Hebrew people have actually said, okay, we're going to do that every time we get together. So every time they have a gathering, this is how they send everybody off with this blessing because they want to remind themselves of who God is who God is. In the middle of turbulence, we really struggle with trust. We really struggle with trust in the middle of turbulence. We panic and we try to figure out our own solutions to the problem. We don't trust God in the middle of turbulence. It takes our eyes right off Jesus and looks right at the waves. And we start asking these what or why questions, but the reality is, is that we're not really wanting to know the what or the why. If you've ever ridden with somebody in a car and uh, you're not entirely sure they're going the direction they're supposed to go, you know, we, we start off polite at the beginning of that process where we say something like, uh, do you know where you're going? Yeah, yeah, I know where I'm going. Uh, you have, do you have the right address? Yeah. And then some more things go by and starting to look, the landscape starting to look a little different. You pull out your own phone to see if they really know what they're doing because you don't actually trust that they know what they're doing. And those what or those why questions for that driver actually contain a statement of mistrust. I don't think you actually do know what you're doing. I don't think you actually do know where you're going. In our family, this happens occasionally. I don't know if this does in yours. Uh, we'll have this interaction. This happened this week, so it made me think of it. And I'll, I'll withhold any names to, to protect the innocent parties. But there were two individuals in our household. One was sitting on a couch, and the other was looking for the remote. And the one looking for the remote walked into the room and said, where's the remote? One sitting on the couch said, I don't know. The one who was looking for the remote did like a little quick 360 and said, I can't find the remote. I think you're sitting on the remote. And the other person said, there's no way I'm sitting on the remote. I would be able to tell if I were sitting on top of a large, hard piece of plastic. And the person said, well, I've looked everywhere else, so it must be where I can't see. You must be sitting on it. So I need you to get up so I can see. I'm not sitting on the remote. I'm not getting up for you. See, the problem is in this interaction is that person A doesn't trust person B. And eventually it devolves into sort of a physical altercation and parents have to get involved and we have to call the police. No, we didn't call the police. But. <laughs> but what they're saying is I don't trust you. I need to determine for myself. And I think, Christians, that's what we struggle with. When life starts to get a little shaky, a little turbulent, and we start to say, God, I don't think you actually know what you're doing, so I'm going to go ahead and make my own plans and follow that because I'm not sure about your plans. It doesn't look like your plans are working out so well. We trust God when things are fine. 
We trust God when we're sitting by the fireplace, reading our favorite book, watching a movie. We trust God when things are good and the cupboards are stocked and the fridge is full. We trust God when there's plenty of food on the table and we trust God when there's plenty in our savings account. We trust God in those situations, but you start to throw a little turbulence into life and our trust for God starts to go out the window, which means that maybe we didn't actually trust God in the first place. In Jeremiah 29, 11, this is everybody's favorite misquoted Old Testament verse. And I won't get into the, the misapplication piece of it here, but it's a, it's a good one. Jeremiah 29, 11 uh, says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And this is spoken to a people who are in the middle of turbulence. They had been uprooted and displaced, and they're refugees in a foreign country. They can't go to the temple and offer sacrifices to God to restore their connection to him. They don't know what to do. They're not sure what's going on. God, what do we do now? How are we supposed to handle this? God, are you sure you've got this? And God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper. Anybody want to guess what that word prosper is in Hebrew? Shalom you. Plans to shalom you. God, this doesn't feel like shalom. I would feel much more shalomed if I were back in my home country, sitting in my favorite chair next to my favorite fire. I know the plans I have for you, God declares the Lord. Plans to shalom you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Do you notice something in this passage? He never says what those plans are. He just says, I got plans. And you're like, God, are you sure? There's a whole book about this in the Bible. You feel free to read it if you want some time, but it's the book of Job. And it's this ideal follower of God who has never done anything wrong, according to the text. And then all these bad things happen to him. And Job's like, God, what is going on? And his friends come along and say, we know what's going on. You have secret sin. And Job's like, guys, promise, I don't. I'm a good guy. No, 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 no. God's just. He wouldn't just allow any. you got to admit your sin. And so for chapter after chapter through the book of Job, there's all this going on. And finally you get to the end of the book of Job and God's like, enough. You guys are so ignorant. You have no clue what's going on. Here's the answer to your question of what's going on. I am God and you are not. <laughs> That's his answer. That's all he ever gives them. Amen. I'm God. You're not God. That's all. Isn't that wild to think about? For I know the plans I have for you. Uh, God, um, last 22 months have been a little turbulent. Uh, do you have a plan? <laughs> I know the plans I have for you. Do you mind, God, if I see the plan? Plans to bless you. Oh, well, God, I would really love to see a blueprint, details. Plans to give you a future. God, can I, I mean, can I see step by step? Can I see the instructions? Do you mind if I peer over your shoulder and look? Plans to give you hope. God, I will trust you if you show me the process here. Which, of course, is another way of saying, God, I do not trust you. I will trust you if you show me what you're up to, which means I don't trust you. And I want to see for myself. And a lot of Christians wrestle that control of their own lives because they're worried about what God is doing. And they're concerned about the turbulence in life. Yeah. You can ask God all the why and what questions. God's totally okay with that. God's good with that. You should ask God why or what questions. But God will always give you a who answer. He'll always give you a who answer. He'll say, I want to bless you. I want to keep you. I want to make my face shine on you. I want to be gracious to you. I want to turn my face towards you. I want to give you shalom. That's what he'll say. God, I'm going to need details. <laughs> Several years ago, a Christian I knew 
was suffering from what looked like a serious cancer diagnosis, which is <laughs> redundant. Every cancer diagnosis is serious. But in this case, it was, it was going to come down to this specific test, and the results of which would say whether or not the cancer was treatable or whether it was terminal. And so this person, just a pillar of the religious community, had gone and enlisted all this help to pray. And of course, we're praying for healing. We're praying for good things. And they're getting down to this test, and there's just thousands of people praying for them. And I think, okay, if this person is so deserving. They've got thousands of people, thousands of good Christians praying for them. If God is going to answer anybody's prayers, it's this person. And then I thought, God, I know what's going on. I know. I figured it out, God. I know the plan. I know what God is up to. He's going to allow it to look bad because it's always darkest before the dawn and it's always worse before it gets better and all these Christians are going to pray and, and then they're going to get good test results and it's just going to be a moment for God's glory and Christians all over the nation are going to be sharing this testimony of how God has healed this person from what looked like a dire situation and we're just going to be able to walk around the rest of our lives in this glow of God's goodness and his love. I know what's going on, God. And then they posted on social media, we got our test results back. Unfortunately, it's not the results we wanted. And I was so deflated because I thought I knew what God was up to. I thought I had it figured out. I thought, I mean, I thought they were going to say, the doctors are stunned. We don't know what happened. The cancer's gone. They would live and have this positive impact on so many people. I know the plans I have for you. I thought I figured it out. The results of the test were not what we wanted. What? What? God, is this turbulence or do we have a real problem? Do I need to come up there and give you a plan? Because whatever you're doing does not look right. But they finished with this statement, and this was so beautiful. I think about this all the time. They said, the, the results of the test were not what we wanted, but we continue to believe this cancer will result in a win regardless of the outcome. Wow. Yeah. What? Who has that kind of faith? Well, someone who has moved their faith from the plan and transferred it over to the planner. Someone who has taken their eyes off their circumstances and turned them onto the character of God. That's who has that kind of faith. Someone whose who shalom cannot be shaken because their circumstances, it doesn't matter because it's never been based on that. It's always been based on the goodness and the character of God. Wow. A God that wants to bless. A God that wants to give peace, to prosper us, to not harm us. Amen. Someone is not concerned by the what or the why, but they are focused on the who. Yeah. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 